This is Dennis Ramondi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Sarah Elizabeth Ivanhoe. Uh, she is the director of Yoga USC, a program designed to support campus life of both students and faculties at the University of Southern California. She has been teaching yoga since 1995 and has been the yoga spokesperson for Weight Watchers Yoga for Dummies Crunch Yoga and appeared as a series regular on the Dr. Drew's Celebrity Rehab. Uh, I've heard wonderful things about your yoga teaching and uh, we're just thrilled to have you on and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Great to meet you, thanks for having me. So Sarah, um, let's go back uh, briefly in time. We always like to give our listeners a sense of uh, the spiritual journey of our guests. Uh, what brought you to the kind of uh, path you're on and to the uh, teaching and study of the yoga tradition? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, obviously everybody can usually spend hours on this. I'll attempt to give you the short version. I, uh, from, from early childhood, age five or six, I had um, a debilitating sleep disorder. Uh, my very first memories of uh, childhood are being awake all night long while my family was sleeping. I would go one, two, three, I've gone up to four nights in a row, no sleep at all. And from the time I was about nine years old, my parents, um, they started to get me what, what I was told was called uh, biofeedback tapes mm -hmm. that I would listen to at night. So I would start to do these guided relaxation practices and I was told that this would help with my sleep. Um, what was interesting uh, was that in fact, they did not help with my sleep. <laughs> in fact, I started to get into, have these incredible experiences. Um, but I was so afraid that I was doing them wrong because I was told I was supposed to be sleeping, that I didn't tell anybody. Um, I thought I was like in trouble and doing the practice incorrectly. Of course, years later, I found out that I was having exalted experiences because what in fact I was doing was equivalent to a yoga nidra practice. And what was actually happening was I was being taken to a state beyond and deeper to sleep. So um, as I got into teenage and adulthood, I, you know, I, I dove into these practices of meditation and yoga, as you said, started teaching in 95, have had a sort of full career teaching. Uh, but for me personally, I've always seen the lens of all these mystical experiences through how, how they would help me in my own journey of sleep. And I've basically just used that to try to um, come up with some methodology to be able to help others do the same. I wanted to ask uh, a lot of people, obviously you've been involved with yoga for many years. You must have started very young. And uh, I, I believe you started, I read you started at, at Mill Valley where you were growing up in Northern California. It, it was part of high school, okay? And it was like, I guess for PE class or whatever. And you know, I've, I've done, um, I used to be a principal of a private school, did a lot of work in education. And I, I've thought for, and I actually did uh, uh, nonprofit work in South Africa. And with working with uh, kids, especially kids who have anger issues and whatnot, I often thought, you know, meditation obviously is a very good thing, but yoga is physical. Kids have a hard time sitting down, closing their eyes while, but they can move. And I'm wondering um, when you were a young person and you started uh, in high school, what that experience of yoga was like 
and if you've had experience teaching young people and how they respond to it? Yeah, it's a great question. There's so many ways I could answer it, but what kept coming to my mind, and I'm just going to go with that, I was actually just um, presenting today to, to a group, a faculty group at Cal State Northridge, and I was just emphasizing the need for movement before we try to channel our minds. You know, we were we were bred to be hunters and gatherers, you know, people always say, uh, you know, a horse needs to be run every day or it gets sick or I have to go walk my dog. Or it gets crazy. And we don't realize that we are the same. And so when we try to get these young, strong children who are filled with vital life force and prana, and we try to get them to just sit down and pay attention at school. It's, um, it's not surprising that they're having a hard time. They haven't let out and, and gotten, you know, embodied what, what they were really sort of meant to do. So for me, I was actually a, a, a teenage and a college athlete. I was a swimmer, um, but, but doing the yoga was a way to really connect my mind to my body. And I just started to have these aha moments at such a young age. So that when I was faced with all of the challenges that you know, that our young people are faced with, with, you know, drugs and alcohol and, you know, everything that sort of came to me at a, you know, that so many other young people experience, I had a place to go. And I really remember a moment uh, when I was at NYU being like, flipping out, I'm going to need to figure out something to do for the rest of my life, because I had a feeling I'm always going to be flipping out. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And I'm going to need to find something to be able to help me with when I feel like this forever. And so I, I was lucky enough to have that seed planted uh, so that I could develop those skills from a young age. The virtues of growing up in Mill Valley. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not many places would have had that. Um, Sarah, you're now associated with uh, USC. We have had... Uh, your colleague Varun Soni on, ah. on the show, and he's a friend of mine. Um, uh, uh, for our listeners, uh, Varun is the uh, Dean of Religious Life at USC and runs a mindfulness program, among other things. How did it come about? There's not that many universities that have somebody uh, on the, I, I guess you would be faculty, uh, specializing in, in yoga. How'd that come about? And what's the program like? Yeah, great question. And, um, and yeah, Varun is, uh, it's basically all because of Varun. I actually met Varun 10 to 15 years ago. He, uh, he did his divinity school work with my brother. Uh, so we became friends way back way back when and when I was sort of at the height of my kind of commercial yoga career um, and um, when I put my commercial yoga career on pause to go and do my graduate work with Chris Chappell who you said you've had on the program uh, to do the master's program at LMU Varun sort of was like oh you mean you actually are interested in you know for the, all this stuff for real and then uh, he sort of observed um, the, the steps I'd taken in my commitment to sort of the integration of these paths. Obviously, what I had been teaching, the jobs I'd been able to get were Hatha yoga practices. You know what I mean? They're teaching physical yoga. And these, were the, these were the jobs that sort of came to me. But my real interest and passion uh, come from a family of academics, and I always have been interested in learning. Uh, at the beginning of his time at USC, Varun um, 
started along with Alan Weiss, the Mindful USC program, which is now built to, I believe, the biggest mindfulness program of any university in the country, over 7,500 people a year through this mindfulness program. So they've been incredibly successful. Uh, and after about a decade of success, our researcher says, okay, so I now have Mindful USC as a template. Um, we, we know, I have proof of concept, we've been able to make this work. Uh, I think we might have just lost Dennis, but I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, go ahead. He'll okay. be back. So, um, yeah, exactly. I know how we know how it is in the world of Zoom. So basically, he said, um, uh, you know, we are able to do that so successfully with Mindful USC. What I'd love to do is create a mirror program and call it Yoga USC, cross-departmental yoga program, and um, I'd love to have you come in and run it. So. Would that be of interest to you? And so, of course, I jumped on the, jumped on the chance. Um, you know, we're really just getting started, um, but one of the first goals has been able to sort of see what yoga is happening all over uh, the university's incredible program that's being built through PE department, stress management, uh, mindfulness practices, and one of my sleep classes. Uh, hopefully, I'll, we'll be holding that in the fall. Um, so the PE department at USC, I owe a lot of credit to them. Uh, and then basically I've been able to sort of create programming, again, cross-departmental to be able to get people in the medical school, to be able to, to practice with people in the law school. And there is something really unifying about that uh, through practice. Now, okay, let me have a, a follow-up question, Dennis. We, you're back, are you? Right, yes. I, okay. I, I have no idea what happens. <laughs> I'm seeing less of your chest set in the back. So tilt your screen so I can, okay. I, I like the... Yeah, there you go. Better, okay. Now, fun, funny funny thing is most of our listeners won't even see us. Um, oh, okay. So, Sarah, um, uh, two questions, really. Um, to what extent, well, let me back up a little bit. You um, have, in your career and in your studies, uh, encompassed a big range of yoga. You had, uh, you became well-known in the yoga for health and well-being sort of uh, space. Uh, that is uh, the, the sort of outward-facing yoga that people are familiar with, asana practice primarily and fitness and so forth. Um, but obviously you, you were drawn to and knew about the, the deeper and larger aspects of yoga and went on to uh, be one in the first graduating class at that uh, master's degree program that we've spoken about here with Chris Chapel, and now you're at a Graduate Theological Union with another person who's been on our show, Rita Sherma, in in her program at, at GTU. So uh, I, I'm curious about that path and the extent to which the philosophical and spiritual and meditative aspects of yoga are a part of what you do at USC, or is that out of the question because, you know, it might be controversial or deemed religious, which is often what happens in other institutions. So that's a lot, but go ahead. Yeah, it's a, it's a, multi, it's a multi-layered question. And um many ways to, I keep saying, you're asking good questions. There's so many directions I could go with it. Um, but I'm, I guess what I moved to, to share is that uh, I think everybody that's been on your podcast has 
a clear sense of their own dharma, their own path, and what it is they are meant to be sharing. Um, and that's, that's, to me, for whatever reason, I feel like I've had access to almost both extreme ends. I feel like I, uh, I spent a lot of time in the sort of the deep end of the academic world. Uh, and I've also, I also had a lot of opportunities to serve uh, in a very commercial wide scale um, way. What was interesting is when I got these invitations to do these much more commercial, you know, to be like the yoga face of Weight Watchers or something like this, or for yoga for dummies, which seems so, you're like, oh my God, you know what I mean? Like in so many ways, it's the antithesis to whatever. Um, I remember having a conversation, you know, with every time I was approached to do one of these things, conversation with them, hey, are you, you know, what's the goal with this? What are the hopes? What am I allowed to do? What are the parameters? And the answer was always given to me, we're this commercial institution, we are this business, we are making this project with or without you. Um, we're, we're, we're offering it to you. And if you'd like to do it, you've got the opportunity to try to weave in some of these messages and meanings that are of value to you as long as you don't sort of cross any lines and you know, as long as they are sort of the undercurrents in enough ways. So if you'd like that opportunity, we're going to give it to you. And so I, I, I took the opportunity. So um, if you, you have to watch closely, but for instance, if you watch the Weight Watchers, uh, Weight Watchers, I mean, of all things, like I've never <laughs> been on a diet in my life. I eat, I eat chocolate every day, you know, I mean, it's crazy. But, um, but I, um, I specifically... I, I threaded, I, I spent an enormous amount of time on these programs and I specifically threaded in um, subliminal uh, aspects of these texts. I got uh, consultations by many of my senior teachers of how and where I could thread different meanings in. And um, if you watch it closely, you can, you can get some of them. And so that, that was my hope. That was right. that's, that's Along those lines, goal. Sarah, I, I was, um... I, I used to teach meditation, just teach TM. And a lot of people, I was out there trying to get people enlightened and people were coming in. And it's just an experience for a lot of people that teach meditation. They wanted to sleep better. They wanted to get rid of some you know, anxiety. And, and so they appreciate, uh, approached it what might seem a superficial way. But my experience is, and this is definitely the case with yoga. If you do yoga, like the first few times I did it, uh, wow, I feel you, you, you cannot not notice something's going on inside as well as, it's not like doing aerobics, although some yoga is turning into that these days. <laughs> and, and so, and then all you have to do is point out to the person that what they're already experiencing. So I think it's fine whether they come in through Weight Watchers or uh, I think Yoga for Dummies is great because, you know, a lot of people I talk to, whether it's about yoga, meditation, whatever, they're afraid to ask. They don't want to sound like they don't know anything, but they, they, they want to start at the very beginning. And uh, so I, I think that uh, that's fantastic. Now, have and you- wait, had, But, but Dennis, I just wanna to say to that point, in a, way, in a way, the point I believe you just made the most important point is that the practice has its own magic. The practice has right. its own power. So I don't care what brings you to this practice, you do it, something starts to happen. And um, I can't tell you how, I mean, I get emails 20 years later from some of these yoga videos I made, people saying, hey, you know, I took this thing, I started with this, 
now I'm a yoga teacher. Now I, you know, what I mean, like it, it got, it gets people on the path, and and so it's it's not for us to judge. It's got its own potency. So yeah, thank I you for making that's that. A very, yeah. very, very good point, Phil. Yeah, and and uh, I just <laughs> want to go back. I just remembered as you were uh, speaking, Sarah, about sort of sneaking in higher messages. Uh, to, uh, I, look, as, as, as our listeners know, and as you know, I've, I've, I've written a lot about the whole history of all this, and every successful guru who came here did the same thing. They, they adapted to the world they were in and to the needs of their teachers. It's called upaya. It's skillful means. And uh, I wanted to just note that when I wrote American Veda, um, I, in the last chapter, I say, where is it? Um, you could see this attempt at balance throughout the yoga world. Sarah Ivanhoe, a popular <laughs> teacher in LA, sends out a regular e-newsletter that contains both health and fitness information, et cetera, and spiritually oriented features, such as a selected mantra and Amma's Corner, where you wrote about uh, Amma. So you've been doing it a long while, and I'm sure you've developed skillful ways of doing it. How do you see the, the, the current yoga scene in general? You're, you're a veteran, you're a scholar of, of the fullness of yoga tradition. What's your uh, take on the current uh, world of yoga as uh, we know it? <laughs> well, so before I answer that question, I do want to share with you that um, because I had to reread reread your book uh, through doing Dr. Sharma's class this past semester, um, I was, you know, because we've been in this pandemic time, I've been staying near my parents up in Mill Valley. So they're like, what are you working on? And I'm like, oh, I'm rereading this book. And they're like, what is it? So I should, so they both immediately started reading it. I, both of my parents <laughs> now have read it cover to cover. Oh, they great. asked me also every 20 or 30 pages at dinner because we're at dinner every night okay so now i'm at the part where swami vivekananda and like they <laughs> oh, come that's... in and they give me the updates on reading your book and ask questions and we talk I... about it and uh, not so... not to get too much into promoting me but I, I, there's a <laughs> question do they understand you and your uh, journey better because they read the book Oh, well, what well, great question. Um, I mean, just because I, they have a historical context. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think in many ways. I think, you know, the, I think the main respect they walked away from it was, was that they didn't realize, they always sort of like, oh, Sarah and her yoga stuff. And I think they didn't have a sense, uh, I think they, they had a new appreciation of how much yoga has um, influenced the culture, mm -hmm. um, you know, especially the transcendentalists and a lot of that so even though i have told them this before i think they didn't listen when yeah. it came for me but yeah. Yeah. You're, you're their daughter <laughs> after all but anyway <laughs> wait, back to my question do you have any uh, yeah, observations yeah, yeah. about the current yoga scene you'd like to share uh you know one one thing that i that's given me a lot of hope um that I feel like is really kind of specific to this COVID challenge time that we've been in, pandemic, all this this new wave of civil unrest, this 
uh, you know, 2020, uh, 2020 clear vision, clear sight experience <laughs> that we've we've all been been going through is that uh, you know I think many of us years ago had come to yoga through uh, spiritual inquiry, and then starting in the mid 90s through you know really up until very recently there was a real wave of uh, you know, the, just the physical aspects of yoga really taking, uh, it was a real pendulum swing. People not only interested in yoga for fitness and what it would do for their bodies, but interested in achieving yoga postures, almost like things that they could tick off like a to-do list. Oh, I can do a handstand. I can do this arm right. balance, check, 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 check. And then also with the creation of social media, the ability to sort of celebrate the ego of like, look at me in this pose, look at me in this pose, look at me, how many likes, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And we saw this huge pendulum swing. I think many of us were like biting our nails going, what in the world is happening right. to, uh, to this yoga? All the time, I really had this internal faith that, I believe, I believe that yoga is a consciousness and that yoga knows exactly what it's doing. Um, and that this is all has to be intentional on yoga's part. I believe that this allowed yoga to spread and get into the hands of millions. And then when our country hit a crisis, it was in the hands of millions. And one thing I've really been seeing on social media is a real uh, swing away from the look at me in this pose, wearing this outfit, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot more focus on yoga for resilience, yoga for connecting with others, for compassion, for self-care, for self-love. So um, it, it's been hard to have faith with everything uh, that's going on around us, but I, I see a change. Uh, Sarah, but first of all, who would have uh, anticipated uh, yoga selfies? You know, look at me, I'm in this. <laughs> uh, well, I, have, I have a question somewhat along those lines. And that is, you started out in Mill Valley, West Coast. And, and, and Phil and I are both from, I'm from New Jersey, he's from New York. They're, they're really, in some ways, especially, well, it's always been for long, uh, uh, yeah, separate cultures. When you went from Mill Valley to uh, New York <laughs> University, was the yoga scene, was the culture of yoga different? Uh, did, did you notice it to be different when you went to New York? Well, um, I, I just have to throw in, I may be, I may be raised in Mill Valley, but my parents were born in Brooklyn, Bensonhurston <laughs> okay. and Red Hook. And then they, spent their, DNA. Late, they spent their late teen years in Fairlawn and Santa Flat. So- Oh, um, my right, God. right, yeah. And my dad just turned 80 a um, couple weeks ago. So I can hear your accents in, uh, you know, and I, I feel it. I feel it all the way through. Um, so in many ways, that's part of why I had to get back to NYU. Because I knew that that was where my, my, my so many of my roots lay. Uh, I do think that the, in the yoga I was doing in Mill Valley in the, I hate to say it, but it was the late 1980s was very hippie granola. I grew up with a lot of children of the Grateful Dead, you know, the band, the Grateful Dead. <laughs> so I went to high school with, with some of them and stuff like this. So it was very sort of, you know, rainbows, camp went a rainbow, literally, um, granola, et cetera. And then going to New York, um, I was in a performance art group. So it was very kind of like edgy and wearing lots of black, but we were doing all of this yoga to be able to work with this sort of performance art. So it was kind of 
I took a different form. I took a lot of Iyengar yoga uh, and then started to do some Mysore classes in, in New York. It was just a little bit embodied that edginess. So I didn't come back and land in Los Angeles till about 93, 94. Um, and by then, um, you know, I had both cultures. I was completely mixed up. And I landed my first week right into Eric Shipman's class. And, uh, you know, not only did I know that I wanted to do Please. yoga for the rest of my life, previously, I had never believed in God. I mean, I just, he, upon meeting Eric Shipman, my entire world changed. So it was, it was Los Angeles that really got me. Well, Sarah, um, we're living in a time uh, during uh, not just the pandemic, but uh, the post-election period, 2020 and 21, um, where I'm sure there's a lot of people uh, having trouble sleeping. Uh, the yoga of sleep, yoga nidra has, is part of uh, what you've been uh, working on and specializing in. Tell us about uh, that tradition and uh, anything you'd like our uh, insomniac listeners to know those listening late at night yeah <laughs> did sarah um, oh there you are okay. delay for a second. no yeah. i'm just it's it's a it's sort of a loaded question um you know part of what i think has been so interesting is as i believe it was you know and phil you're you're more of the anthropologist here um, but it was, I believe it was in the 80s where it really started to be cool to kind of talk about how little you slept. Uh, you know, it was the sort of like uh, Gordon Gecko, Wall Street, uh, Money right. Never Sleeps culture. And, and there, there was a real wave of how mm -hmm. cool you are for not sleeping and the desire to not sleep. And I do believe our culture is going to have years and years of recovering <laughs> from that. Uh, a lot of what I would almost call sleep shame. Um, in addition, the, uh, the ambition and the pace with which our culture is moving at these days makes it incredibly difficult to just magically wind down at the end of the day. We're going at 10 million miles a minute. You know, if you're a car going 65, 70 miles an hour, and then you decide 11 o'clock at night time to sleep, it's like, <laughs> you, know, you just cry, like screech on the brakes and try to come to a halt. Um, it's, it's no wonder that, that we are having a, a difficult time kind of settling in. Not to mention we're the only animals that actually, uh, you know, try to disrupt our own sleep, our natural sleep state. We've got these alarms going off every morning telling us we should be getting up and doing things. And, you know, other animals, when they're tired, they sleep. And when they're rested, they just wake up and start doing stuff. And... And uh, I know that this all really started really with the Industrial Revolution, but I, I do think and I hope now that we are living in more of a 24-hour society, that in many ways people will start to find the room um, to find their own sleep rhythms and to kind of honor their own clocks. Um, you know, in, as, it, as it sort of connects with our, our mind-body practices, um, yoga Nidra, is, and I know we only have a couple of minutes, but Yoga Nidra is a very powerful practice and it's something we can come back and dive into and speak a lot more about. Um, but I also do believe, uh, you know, when I teach sleep classes and I teach a, a really long comprehensive class on sleep, not just with Yoga Nidra, 
Um, there are lots of sleep hygiene techniques that we've learned that can really help them support sleep. Um, but there are a lot of the yoga and breathing uh, that we do. And additionally, these are energy balancing practices. A lot of yoga can really wake you up. Uh, and a lot of breath work can really wake you up. Uh, so it's not like all yoga and breathing calms you down. Um, and it's not always necessarily what you'd think. So as we, um, you know, if it's something that you're interested in, there are, there's sort of something we could dive into more at time, but there's a certain way of doing uh, practices, different types of breath work, different types of meditation. As we know, some meditation is really wonderful to do in the morning and it gets you clear and awake and ready for the day. So um, I've basically spent a lifetime using myself as a guinea pig, mm -hmm. uh, really seeing, well, that one didn't work. Uh, this one, oh, this feels great. Um, so that's part of what I, what I tried to share in my class. Sarah, I have one uh, final question for you. And I'm sure a lot of our uh, people tuning in are wondering, how can I learn more from Sarah? How can I see her more? How can I read about her? Where are you available? Are you online? Are you, where, where do they go? Where do we go? Yeah, sure, sure, great. So, I mean, I have my own website, sarahivenow.com. And then if you're interested in the university work, it's yoga.usc. We'll post dot, all that. Up, uh, uh, edu, yeah. Mm -hmm. what, yeah. what uh, Sarah, one last question. We have only a few more minutes, but what are your what are your aspirations for the work you're doing at USC? What how do you see it going? And and what advice might you give to people uh, interested in introducing programs like it at other other universities? Yeah, I I mean I really think that we're at a critical time where the whole university structure is really getting to it's 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 starting mm -hmm. to open its eyes. It's starting to change. It's interesting um, when I speak to colleagues at universities all over the country, um, budgets are being massively cut. People are being massively furloughed because of the pandemic, except for wellness. Um, <laughs> they're like, please, we, we're finally realizing that there really is an interest and a way for uh, people wanting to make uh, them, them healthy. One, one of the things we've been doing at USC is um, I, I have a friend at Google uh, that started a yoga program at Google. And he, um, I, I was so moved uh, speaking to all of his, you know, I've done a, a few sessions of teaching sleep up at Google to them. And I was so moved to see that everybody that's teaching yoga at Google, they're doing it all volunteer. And they're all um, just because they know that yoga is so important. And I was so moved by that. I said, would you guys want to come and volunteer and come and speak to some of the university students? So we, we set up actually a mentorship program uh, that we just piloted last semester called Optimize Your Life, because obviously they're a search engine, so it was about optimizing. Um, but for these incredible uh, Google employees who are super, some of them very successful, high up in the ladder of Google, however that all works. Um, but for them to, to, to essentially be new role models for the students. I believe that students have an image in their mind that they need to suffer, they need to pull all-nighters, they need to kill themselves with their schoolwork just to get through school in the best way. What they don't realize is that once you get into the work environment, it's just as hard. Uh, and that if they build some healthy practices from a young age, uh, self-care allows them to do all of what they want to create in life a little bit better, allows them to be a better friend, more effective at school. You know, it just, it helps with everything. 
Um, so we've really been sort of focusing on that, how we can kind of share these ideas where uh, just like a little, a little goes a long way. We have, Sorry. yeah, go ahead, Dennis. Uh, I, I'm curious, what is your uh, routine, daily routine? What is, when, when do you practice yoga and for how long? Yeah, great. So I, uh, I meditate in the morning. I do a mantra meditation practice in the morning. And I often try to do some sort of intense cardio in the morning. So I'll take my dog for a strong walk. Uh, I'll do some sort of a hike, some sort of something. I try to get sunlight uh, because of my sleep stuff. I try to get some sunlight in my eyes from an early time. And, you know, it's funny. For years, I always told myself, oh, good yogis always do yoga in the morning. And I should be doing my yoga in the morning and like this and that. And it just, uh, it just didn't suit me. So then I do a day, uh, you know, I do uh, my different work. Um, you know, as Phil mentioned, I'm, I'm applying to a PhD program, uh, which, you know, hopefully will officially start in the fall. So there's a lot that I'm working on during the day. And then I find that my yoga practice is for me most effective at night. I finish my work, uh, I, finish, I finish my day, and then I go and then I, oh, I just peel the day off mm -hmm. with my yoga practice. And I find that I ends up sometimes being vocal. I'm like, wow. you know, like it, like it really, but, but then, but then I'm free and then I can much more easily wind down at night. So, uh, and then I usually do some sort of a guided relaxation practice at night as well. And also just want to mention this, um, because I think this will appeal to uh, many of your, many of your audience. Uh, a lot of what I teach also in sleep, a lot of people grind their teeth at night. So that's often right. part of our sleep practices. So I teach people how to do a little uh, jaw massage after brushing their teeth and kind of create a whole nighttime ritual, which is really valuable. So, so maybe, uh, Sarah, you're, you're drawn to doing it at night. So, so you're in sync with the yogis in the Himalayas early, who are early, <laughs> early, <laughs> they're early in the morning. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I'm right. I'm exactly. Yeah, I'm You're on to... Himalayan time. I sure am. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for being with us. This Thank was you so joy. much. And keep up the good work at uh, USC and GTU. And we'll tell our listeners if you want to know something about the people who were mentors to Sarah, uh, go to our interviews with Christopher Chapel and with Rita Sharma. Uh, and Varun Soni. And Varun Soni. Yeah. Right. So, we'll have all Sarah's um, information posted up the website, all of that, or contact us directly, but it'll all be posted on our website. And and Sarah's website is her name, sarahivenhoe.com. You'll find a lot of good stuff there that'll help you get through the pandemic and all the other uh, madness. Uh, Sarah, thanks again. Thank Take you good so care. Much. We'll be in touch. Thank you.